0: All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue in our study. So we've been in a study uh, that uh, you can think of as a theology um, study, uh, which just is a fancy way of saying studying about God or studying about the Bible. Sometimes the word doctrine gets used. Uh, Who knows what that means to each of us? Because I haven't pulled around to see, you know, when you think of the word doctrine, what you think of when you think of that word Uh, but it just means study of um, in its simplest form. Sometimes it can have a negative uh, connotation to it because sometimes it conjures up images of stuffy religious professors in some college who are thinking of all these theoretical doctrinal issues that maybe don't seem to be all that practical. Um, But that's not the way in which we're wanting to discuss things um, or have that approach in Sunday school. Um, because what the Bible teaches uh, is very practical, and at least um, yeah, um, it, it should, hopefully, be practical. Now, the truth is there's certain parts of the Bible that have, um, seems like, less application for us to apply them to our lives. or They're harder to apply, such as some of the passages I'm thinking of that have some long genealogy lists. Um, yet, even in those, um, there um, are some... Truths that are either um, hidden amongst them or are able to support other truths. And, and so, of course, um, in the Gospels, uh, in the books of Matthew and Luke, uh, lists of genealogies are actually lists of Christ's genealogies, and they're very important uh, because they establish the, the, the right of Jesus to potentially claim messiahship. Um, because the Bible had clearly forecast or or predicted uh, or prophesied that the Messiah would come through a specific line of descendants or in, in the case of the Messiah his ancestors and so it was very important to establish those things so anyway sometimes we'll read a passage like that and you're reading about so and so had a son's name so and so had a son's name so and so and you go through all this list and you're like okay what's this have to do with me and yet sometimes there are Good reasons for that, there. Um, Of course, there's a verse in the Bible where God teaches us that all Scripture is given to us by the breath of God or inspiration of God and is profitable for, and then it lists a bunch of things that potentially Scripture is profitable for. So, uh, no Scripture is a waste of time in studying, yet uh, some seem more practical or or more easily able to be applied to our lives than others. So, I'm hoping our study in uh, doctrine is uh, that way, and that it's uh, able to be profitable. So this is kind of our overall uh, series here. I'm calling it Theology. Now we're in Part 2, Unit 2. It's called The Doctrine of Man. So we did uh, Doctrine of God, or Study study About Things About God Himself. Now it's a study about things about us. And uh, this is, I think, very helpful. I don't know if I've worded it this way, but you know, I mean, one of the biggest things in life to make sure we have it right that, that directly pertains to this question, what's going to happen to me when I die? Well, we need to know something about God and we need to know something about ourselves because it's that relationship between us and God that we want to make sure it's right because he's the one we're going to stand before when that happens. Now, there's a lot of practical uh, issues while we're alive um, in our relationship with God and how things are going. For example, the God promises that He will bless people if. That's certainly nice to know what the if is. Because God doesn't say He's going to bless everyone, so the if, and then. So we're not going to go into that right now. But there's people who God blesses and people who God does not bless, and uh, so certainly knowing more about God and knowing more about ourselves and finding out if you know things are right here, uh, can impact our lives. And so these things are very practical for us in this life and in life after death. Okay, so anyways, we're in the section today on Doctrine of Man, Theology uh, Part 2, more specifically a lesson on sin. So this is our 10th lesson in the series, and it's a continuation of last week. So I'm going to look at some of our points on the slide here, and uh, just by way of review, we, we talked last week about a definition of sin. I think the easiest way to remember that um, is to think of the meaning of the word, which has kind of an archery uh, feel to it. It's when you're shooting at a target, when you miss the target, that's a sin. Because the word literally means missing the mark. Now, we're not saying when you go shoot archery, if you miss the target, you've sinned. But like archery, when you've missed the mark, when you have missed God's moral law, When God asks you, do this, and you don't get it done, that's a sin. You missed the mark. should have done it. You didn't. Um, When God says, don't do that, and you do it, again, you've missed the mark. Uh, The the word sin in some people's minds can, uh, in their minds, be thought of as really bad things. Uh, Most people would recognize certain sins as very bad. I can't even say all people would. But most would recognize, for example, just go up and, you know, I want your wallet. I want the money in it. Therefore, I shall shoot you and take your life so that I can have the contents of your wallet. There are some people that don't mind doing that. But most people, whether you're Christian or not, would recognize that as that's really bad. You don't do that. Therefore, we have laws in society against murder. You don't do that. You don't steal, Uh, for example. But uh, the definition of sin in the Bible is um, broader than that. It, um and it becomes very important if if we want to please God and be on the right page with him not that we earn his favor by being good people the bible teaches that clearly but okay, we want to still do right then we need to hit the mark and we need to know what the target is if we're going to hit it so therefore knowing more about you know God and what he expects can be very helpful to us but that's the general definition definition of sin missing the mark okay and then let's see well I'm not going to go over this a lot. we talked about that last week um, except to just mention it briefly um, you know, the original sin that was created was when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and that's really the essence of the sin disobedience to God when they ate. The fruit. By the way, that, that can go back to my comment that some people think of sin as doing something really, really bad. What did Adam and Eve do that was so bad that it caused them to be condemned by God and and a sentence of death was pronounced upon them? What did they do? Hold on to your seats. They ate a piece of fruit. Oh, say it ain't so. They ate a piece of fruit. And yet, um, it was really disobedience to God that was the issue. And yet, sometimes in people's minds they say, well, it's not right, that big a deal. It's like you know, a kid eating a cookie when their mom told them not to do it. I mean, it's not that big a deal, right? And, and yet, um, the Lord looks at sin as sin. And so just one sin was enough to for them to be pronounced guilty. And then there was a consequence, like a judge in a court, now, fortunately in our country, not all judges do this, but you'd hope a judge would follow the law and say, okay, if you're guilty of breaking the law, then I will pronounce you guilty based upon the law, and then there will be whatever the law says the consequences are for that, uh, then I, as a judge who wants to uphold the law, will pronounce those judgments upon the person who's guilty of that. You know, it could be anything from like a fine because you were speeding, you know, to life in prison for some serious crime, uh, but still we would expect a judge who cares about right and justice would do that. And so God, a righteous judge, which just means caring about doing right and one who does right, a righteous judge would pronounce guilt upon something that is guilty, they were guilty, and bring upon that a righteous or a just sentence. And so the Bible teaches us what that is. The Bible tells us in uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Okay? Uh, wages is what you earn. So you sin, here's what you earn. Your wage is death. That's the righteous pronouncement. Now um, in our human thinking, um, sometimes some things don't seem to be righteous or right. God really? Death sentence? For that? Really? Okay. But what we have to recognize is God is the He is the standard. Uh, he is He is one whose thinking is not tainted by sin. Now fortunately in that message though, uh is God's love. The Bible tells us that um that we know um Romans Five twelve, I think God commends his love or shows his love to us. How does he do that? In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loved mankind. He's a righteous judge, so he can't just say, Ah, okay, never mind. I'm not going to worry about it. He couldn't do that. That wouldn't be right. And yet, uh, he loved us and he uh, prescribed away something that he, in his mind, knowing... The end from the beginning, the, the past and the future, knowing that mankind would sin, provided um, this way of salvation and um, provided, well um, oh, by the way, not Romans 5.12, I see that here, but I, Romans 10.13, I don't know. I got all these Romans passages floating around in my head, but one of them says that. <laughs> um, anyways, um, he's prescribed a way of salvation. The Bible says before he even created the world, uh, he knew what he was going to do when sin happened. And so thankfully for that. Uh, but that uh, one place that we kind of left off last week, it was a final thought, was just um, this thought, um, that we want to be careful as finite creatures, meaning limited in our abilities and our thinking, that we rise up, and whether we do it in our heart or whether we do it mentally or maybe we even do it vocally or maybe we even do it physically, rise up Point our finger at God and say, that's not right, what you just did. Um, it's Far be it from us to become the judge of God, uh, because he's the judge of all the earth. And we'll come back and, and uh, quote um, a little bit later a verse, uh, or at least reference it, a verse um, when Abraham said that to God. God shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right. And so, but far be it from us to rise up to the judge of all the earth and say, that's not right, what you just did. Now we can rise up and say there are things that aren't right, Um, and to the extent that God agrees with us, or maybe we should turn around, we agree with God, Um, which by the way is what confesses, when the Bible says confess your sins, what does that mean? Agree with God on it, because the the word literally has the idea of agreement, okay? Okay. Um, God says it's a sin, when you, when you confess and say, that's a sin, I, I confess that I sin, well, you're agreeing with God on it. If, if, if indeed our understanding is right and whatever it is, is a sin, if it's missing the mark of what God would have desired, uh, then when we confess it to God, we admit uh, to God, which is a, um, another word that kind of has the idea, we admit to him, yeah, I sinned. I messed up on that one. I did what's wrong. I confess that to you, God. Now, the Bible combines that uh, aspect of confession with the idea of repentance, which would be to turn away from that, because sometimes people can sin like, yeah, it's a sin. I'm sure, glad I did it, though. That's the way I want to do it again. I, I like what I did. I have n- no repentance on it. Uh, sometimes people will do things they, they understand are wrong, but they don't want to change. So if... Um, like, uh, such as in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, when it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I think implied in that verse, and I get this, because there's lots of other passages that teach about, you know, sin and what we do. Implied in, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Implied in that's a repentance. So if we have no change of heart, we don't want it. Because re- repent is a turning away from, uh, like going 180 the other direction. So... Anyways, I don't want to get uh, spend too much time on those things because I'm chasing a few rabbit trails here in our discussion. But this, again, I think is where uh, these studies are practical because we're studying what sin is, and there's practical applications to our lives and our relationship to God. And, um, and uh, to the extent that we have a healthy relationship with God, I think um, these thoughts are very practical and hopeful. All right, uh, let me come back, though. Um, of course, Adam and Eve are the ones who sin, and then we um, I'll come back to that thought as um, we're kind of moving along. So these next two things here, inherited guilt and inherited uh, corruption. Okay, So uh, this is what we got into a little bit last week. and, and so I'll kind of repeat some of the things we said last week, but then we're going to start with some new things on these same topics. That is, we're going to look at a number of Bible verses. Uh, that relate to these. Okay, so th- the Bible basically teaches that in Adam we have sinned. We've inherited a sin nature from Adam. Thereby, we are guilty before God because of sin, and we've and of course we've inherited that from Adam. Now we we touched on this a little bit last week in that. Um, I might have worded it this way. Um, someone might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. If Adam sinned, well, then why am I held guilty for what he did? Well, I said it's kind of a moot point. If someone feels bad about that, that's one of those things you might want to point your finger at God and say, that's not fair. Why should I be found guilty because of what Adam did? Why should I inherit a sin in nature because of his sin? It's kind of a moot point because we've all sinned. So even Whether we inherit it from Adam or not, we've all sinned. We've all done things that we aren't supposed to do. Now, maybe on rare occasion, you might find someone that says, well, that's not true about me. Um, I've mostly run into that with younger children. Uh, uh, maybe they don't understand what sin is, or they don't really, you know, comprehend th- that they've done something. So I've run into that a time or two. Well, actually, I can only remember one time in Awanas. I used to help out with Sparky's years ago, so that's K through two age range. And I do remember one child. Most of the time, when I was talking to them about, basically, I'm going to talk with them about the gospel, um, you want to know that they have if they're going to be saved or born again, like the, which is a term the Book of John uh, uses. Um, if they're going to become a Christian or adopted into the family of God, they they need to know there's something they need to be saved from, or there's a reason why there's something. So I usually would ask the child if they've ever done anything that was wrong, anything that was a sin, and I do remember one child's like, "Nope." Like really? So you've never told a lie? No. Nope. You never been unkind to your brother or sister? No. Nope. <laughs> so I mean, what? Now it's kind of hard. Maybe you know the Holy Spirit needs to work in the heart and just open his eyes uh, to the fact he is a sinner because what the Bible teaches us. Uh, very clearly is that everyone has sinned. Uh, so it's like I said, it's kind of a moot point because we've all sinned, anyways. Uh, even if you can't, you know, if you say, "Well, I don't feel like I should have to blame Adam for that," like I should be held accountable for that. Okay, then be held accountable for your own sin. Um, either way, you're going to be guilty before God. Um, but I think that uh, we'll get into it some more today, where there's, you know, some some thoughts about whether you inherit sin and a sin nature and therefore are guilty before God that does have implication on some other things. Um, But for us as adults, I mean, you're guilty before God either way, your own sin or Adam's, okay? But I will say that I think the Bible's pretty clear though, um, really clear, I believe, that we have inherited a sin nature from Adam, thereby, thereby we're guilty before him. And we'll see some more verses on that today Okay, so as we continue on this point, what I'd like to do uh, this morning is look at a number of verses in the Bible that touch on aspects of this. And I have quite a few, I have them all listed here, but I thought maybe I'd see if uh, there's those in the room that wouldn't mind looking up some of them, and then you could hear voices other than just mine the whole time. Um, so would there be anyone that would look up Romans 8 verses 7 and 8? okay Stacy and how about okay so mom I said so yeah your hand raised how about uh John fifteen five? okay and I probably got more verses than we'll have readers so I'll read some of the whatever we don't assign here um would anyone like to look up Hebrews 11 verse 6. okay Tristan okay and how about Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2. Okay, Joe? Did you go to the baby shower yesterday? Okay, I didn't know if they. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like it went well. Yeah. Yeah. I figured probably not unless you had a wife that drug you in for some reason. Yeah. So um, Ephesians two verses one into yeah. Okay, and actually I've lumped a couple of them together, so maybe we'll get through the whole list with you guys. We'll see. Uh, John eight verse thirty four. You want to do that one, Jeff? And I have one, eight, yeah, chapter 8 of John, verse 34. And then I have actually just one more. Isaiah 64, verse 6. You can fight over it at this time. Cheryl. Okay. All right. We'll uh, come back to those verses in a moment. So just hang on to them. Now, by then, you might have forgot, like, which verse did you say? Well, if at least you haven't opened the right page. I'll repeat the verse uh, reference here. Okay, Um, So this would fall under this point here. Now, last week we kind of left off with this, except we didn't go into those two points that are below inherited uh, corruption. And I don't know if I've been uh, doing a good job um, to our multimedia table in saying where I'm at on the slides. Usually I'll try to say that, so my apologies if that's not the case. But for those online, we're going to try to get to the slide that is entitled Doctrine of Inherited Sin. Uh, two points on that slide, inherited guilt and inherited corruption. And so we're going to look at the 2 subpoints under inherited uh, corruption. Okay? So I'm going to go ahead and um, start with uh, the first point there, our nature. Okay? So the Bible teaches us that our nature lacks any spiritual good. We're talking about the way we are naturally before God does a change. Now, there's there's a verse, I don't have it uh, in my notes here, but it says this, if any man be in Christ, speaking of Christians, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And it touches on a change of nature, That, that God does a work or a change in a person's heart so prior to that change, uh, sometimes the person refers to it as the natural man. Um, the natural man in the Bible is man with his natural nature that he inherits. Okay? So what is that nature like? Um, are we able to uh, do any spiritual good? And the answer is la- there's a lack of spiritual good. Now, it doesn't mean that non-Christians don't ever do anything that's good. That's not the idea. So for example, um, whether you're Christian or not, you can um, maybe like uh, some people I know have uh, on Thanksgiving have gone down to um, some sort of homeless shelter and helped serve food on Thanksgiving uh, to the needy. Uh, A very good thing to do. Or maybe have given uh, money to charities, um, like uh, some of the charities that help uh, veterans who have been wounded uh, in war or charities that help uh, maybe children, orphans, or you know, other needy uh, here in our country or in other countries. So those are all good acts. Uh, yet those acts apart from God still, here's the, there's a the thing that would be like news to some, they still miss the mark. Therefore, in one sense, they're good. In another sense, because they're only partly good, but are lacking, they miss the mark, then they are still, and it sounds funny to us to say it, but they're sin. Okay, now the primary way that that's true, a verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all all to the glory of God. Any good act, like helping out at a homeless shelter or giving money to a charity, when it does not involve glorifying God, we've missed the mark, at least in that respect. Therefore, there's an aspect to it which is still sin. Therefore, there's one verse in the book of Proverbs that talks about the plowing of the wicked being sin, because that you know there's nothing wrong with plowing the field in fact it's a very good thing Um, I admire the hard work of farmers being out there working the soil and and growing things and uh, this huge contribution not only feeding their own family but feeding society very admirable very good thing to do Um, good honest hard work and yet if that farmer's not attempting to glorify God in that process then there's an aspect of that that is sin and that's I think the, um, the best explanation of that verse, the plowing of the wicked sin, that's why. Um, if he, because he's wicked. He's doing it for other reasons. Maybe he's doing it for selfish reasons. Um, maybe he's doing it because he's greedy and wants more money. Although in our day and age, wrong profession to get into if you want to get rich off of it. But there was a, a day and age you know, in some societies, maybe like in our country in the Old South where uh, that rich plantation owner could get wealthy um, off of that, especially on that search, you know, off the backs of slaves and stuff. Uh, but there's been times where people have gotten wealthy off of agriculture. Um, and so you could be plowing a field for greedy, selfish reasons. Uh, you could be doing it, you know, to elevate yourself to some sort of fame and, you know, so there could be pride involved. Who knows? Um, so, anyways, yes. Yeah. I think that's yeah. really the heart. Right. And um yeah, any reason for sure and yeah, that's the fact is if someone if someone has made no attempt to have a right relationship with God, in other words, become a Christian and be adopted in the family of God, then everything they're doing is missing the mark because they're not they're not from that starting place that's mentioned, yeah. Okay? Um, here's a couple verses that i did not assign that go under that point most of the verses i gave you go under the second point our actions uh, but under our nature uh, romans 7 verse 18 says this for i know that in me that is in my flesh paul speaking here dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me but how to perform that which is good i find not he said he struggles within himself He wants to do what's right, and he just can't always make himself do it. And it's speaking to that our nature is there, lacking the the ability and um, inclination to do what's right. Now, I I couldn't help when I uh, read Paul's uh, wording there, uh, thinking of Benjamin Franklin. I read his autobiography, uh, Once Upon a Time, and Benjamin Franklin went through um, an experiment um, with himself. Uh, maybe experiment's the wrong word, but an attempt on his own part to try to become a like, uh, um, very moral, ideal moral person. And so he made this list of things. He put a lot of effort and thought into it. I don't remember what all was on the list, but th- like if you're going to be a moral person, these are things that should be true about you. And so then he tried to live up to that moral code And he found he couldn't do it. That's what Paul's speaking of. Um, I I want to do it. That's Ben Franklin. He wanted to do it. For to will, to will to do it, is present with me, Paul said. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. I can't figure out how to consistently get it done. We've all wrestled with things that are sinful, that we have sinful inclinations, that we know we shouldn't, but we give in to the temptation, and we do. And uh, Ben Franklin found that, so then he... Decided to whittle that down. Okay, I can't get all these done, so let me just try some of them. And he he was attempting to do what the Bible teaches is impossible. In fact, uh, the Ten Commandments, amongst others, the Bible says were given to us partly to show or to make us know what is sin and what isn't. So therefore, Ben Franklin didn't really have to come up with his own moral code. Uh, he could have just gone with something like the Ten Commandments. And yet, to keep those perfectly, the Bible points out you're not going to be able to get it done. Thus, the law shows our inability to morally be perfect before God and approach him. Thus, we need someone else. We need some other solution, which is provided through Jesus Christ. And so, uh, but Paul, um, the point of that verse in our study is that Paul recognizes in his nature... He says, dwells no good thing. I want to do right, and I struggle with this. By the way, the Bible doesn't teach that when we're made into a new creature, the old sin nature is completely eradicated and gone, so we never sin again after that. Um, But it's power over us. uh, There's a solution there, and and really the solution is to the extent that we are being helped by God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we can have victory over that sin nature. And we don't have to be ruled by it. Um, okay. Um, now, let me read another verse that goes with this point. Jeremiah seventeen nine, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That it makes me think of different views that are out there. Uh, there's a view, because this is uh, the idea, some of these people describe this as the depravity of man or that man in his natural state um, does not naturally seek to honor God, does not naturally seek uh, to do right. There's alternate views to that. The man is basically good is one alternate view. Again, um, if we ask ourselves, does man naturally... You you have to get into these if you want to define what does it mean to be good. That's where a lot of disagreement is because many people would define good not as defining good in terms of what god says is good and so therefore if you can't agree to the definition of good then you probably aren't going to agree on whether man is good or not Um, but um, from a biblical standpoint god is the one who as the righteous god of the universe the creator communicates with us what's good and what's not then we can more easily see that, well, is man naturally good? Well, we don't naturally hit the mark on things. And so, therefore, it might make more sense to one that maybe embraced the concept that man is basically good. Well, not so much if God is the standard by which we compare that. Right? But um, there are also those that hold to a philosophical viewpoint, sometimes referred to as tabula rasa, that is a blank slate. The man's not either one. That his experiences, his his nurturing, uh, maybe the the influence of family or society, that's what molds him to either become good or become bad. So those are some different competing viewpoints that are out there. Uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. So um, we're starting, you know, um, as Christians from the standpoint of okay, God's God's the one who defines these. And he defines it as Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so that's how God views it. Okay? Now we'll get to the question later on today, um, if I keep things moving along, um, that is, are, are some sins worse than others? Well, the quick answer is uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, generally, yes. But no in the sense that, I mean, you're guilty of sin either way. Um, so that's why Adam and Eve didn't have to commit a what we think of as a really bad sin before they got uh, condemned to death. Um, it could be what we think of as a little one. Cause, so in that sense, they're the same in that they bring on guilt and therefore uh, God's judgment. Uh, but in other sense, they're, they're not the same, and we'll get into that later. Okay, so... Um, let me move on, and let's get to the next point, our actions. Um, our actions lack spiritual good, but our, our actions lack spiritual ability. So they kind of go along together. We're not naturally good, and we don't naturally do good or have the ability in that direction. So let's listen just to just what the Bible says on this, um, starting with, let's see, Stacy, you had this one, Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. Okay, um, so again, if we're in the flesh, carnal, car- the word carnal means fleshly, as the root of that word refers to flesh or meat. Um, so it's our, in our physical body, in our natural state. Okay, We're at war with God, conflict with God, or enmity, and so we cannot please God, verse 8 says, in that state. Okay, how about um, what the Bible teaches in John 15, verse 5. Mom has that one. Okay. so the passage here, the, the context of the passage is being able to do anything spiritually, bringing forth spiritual fruit, like a tree producing fruit. That's the product you're hoping for. Uh, can we do anything spiritually? Uh, Jesus said, well, without me, you, you can do nothing. You, you can't. Not without the help of God. It doesn't work that way. Okay, uh, Tristan, I think you had Hebrews 11, verse 6. Yeah, so the part there, it's impossible without without faith. Okay? Um, we don't have a relationship with God if we're not coming to Him by faith. Without Him, it's impossible to please Him. Okay? All right, and then uh, Joe, you had Ephesians two verses one and two. Yeah, before we were dead, dead in trespasses, uh, sins, Uh, trespass, you know, just means violating, like boundary line on your property, you you go across the boundary line and you trespass. Um, So we trespass God's law, we go across where we shouldn't go or um, trespasses and sins, we were dead in those. And uh, we walked in that pathway at one time, but a person has the opportunity for that to change. Uh, but again they're just dead uh, nobility okay um, Jeff you had John 8 verse 34 yeah now not everyone believes that one sometimes uh, even Christians who we, we can still sin sometimes um, we think or non-christians think i can sin and get away with it I can control it. I mean, people do that with other things in life, you know, things that can be addictive and habitual, sometimes think, okay, I can do this, I can dabble with this, I can control it. Um, and thus we know some people uh, can't do that. The, we wouldn't need Alcoholics Anonymous if alcoholics could control the alcohol. Uh, some, yeah, some people can control it. They don't get addicted, but other people, they can't control it. And so therefore, they, they're seeking help of some organization like AA, to help them with that addiction because they, they can't control it themselves. And uh, in a similar fashion, uh, when a person sins, they become the servant of sin. Uh, they don't become the master of the sin. The sin becomes their master and can't control it. That's why Paul, um, you know, he said, to will is present with me. To will to, to not do bad things, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Um, so he struggled with that. Okay, so um, then a last one here, Cheryl, Isaiah 64, verse 6. And that kind of touches on what we were talking about earlier with uh, someone like the the farmer who's plowing, the plowing of the wicked is sin. This verse says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All that we do that's good apart from God is not good. Now, again, it's not that God looks at us says, well, you helped out at the soup kitchen at the homeless shelter. That was really bad of you to do that. Now, that's not the point of scripture to say that the activity was uh, wrong. But again, if we do it apart from God, we've missed the mark in some way, then therefore it is still a sin. All our righteousness, obviously all our wicked acts are sin, but that verse says also all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's why everyone needs a Savior. There's no one who doesn't need uh, the, the gift of salvation offered through Jesus Christ. Okay. So now I knew we weren't gonna get through the whole lesson. Last week I thought maybe we'd do it in two parts, but I got in my study towards the end of things and I even had one point myself that I didn't have time to completely study. And I, and I have a hard time gauging how long it's gonna take me on things, except I know that when I put a certain amount of time into study, it usually takes a certain amount of time to teach it. And so I knew when I ran out of time and I couldn't even get to my own last point in my study, um, then i knew that we would not get through to that point so i'd be okay like i just knew i was going to finish it well we won't even get you know we won't even get everything done that i did get time to study this morning but i do want to go to our next slide and at least uh, touch on uh, one or more of the points on that we only have a few minutes left here in our study today um, so the first point on the next slide is all people are sinful before God. So on this one, it's just kind of now maybe some thoughts, maybe some questions that might arise um, in our study on sin. And so the first one, is uh, most of them are questions, but I have I put the first one, I guess, more of in a thought form, although I guess we could put in a question, are all people sinners before God? But we've kind of already answered this one and looked at it. Yet I'll just do a, a few thoughts related to it. Um, Now one verse that um, I forget if I quoted it today or not Romans 3.23 I don't think I did For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God Now coming short means falling short Um, So um, I've heard people do some crazy things My dad was describing a crazy thing to do I I, I never actually saw the show but some friends, some brothers or something that would do these crazy stunts that you think you got to be nuts to even try that. Um, just daredevil kind of stunts. So they did something like built a ramp on one building. There was another building, and their landing pad was a bunch of cardboard boxes. And then they were trying to go off the ramp and all kinds of things. One of them did it in a tricycle. So, and you're trying to launch from one building to the other. I'm like, no. I'm My life... I am I, thankful to the Lord for my life. It's too valuable of a gift. I am not going to risk my life to go off of a ramp from one building to the other to see if I could do it. And I also don't want to risk the pain if you know um, it's not only risk death, just risk pain if that doesn't happen. So um it's just like I okay, but some people are daredevils like that and uh um that's just kinda hmm okay. Well anyways, um I, I just lost my train of thought. Why did I even bring that up? Okay, I know where I was at, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. But how did that tie to that one? I, oh, missing the mark? Yeah, I get, you know, what I think that's what it probably was. Yeah, That's what I'd be afraid of. Oh, I remember, come short of the glory of God. I'd be afraid I'd fall short. Like, what if I don't quite make it to that other building, let alone the landing pad? I'm going to be like, no, I can see it. I could just, I picture coming short, like you're reaching out and grabbing. I could just be like, if I could just grab, and grab onto the edge there and not fall uh, down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good thing to have. Yeah, we all fall short of the glory of God. We just don't quite reach it. Therefore, there's a problem. All have sinned, and that's why we got a big problem. We fall short. Um, well, here's another verse very similar to it. Uh, Psalm 14, verse 3. They are all gone aside. It's like turned away from the pathway they should go. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And so it just says a similar thing to Romans 3.23. Well, in in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul does extensive arguments and, and an extended discussion on this topic that all are guilty before God. And that's, so that's really our standing before God. Now, the, the beautiful thing about it is God offers a way of salvation. So we don't have to stay condemned. There's a way to be pardoned. There's a way uh, to, be, to have our sin problem taken care of. Right? And so this uh, then stands in stark contrast with many ideas that are out there in the world um, that you know, man is in an okay position. Um, so, all right. Well, we're going to have to kind of leave it there at that. Um, but again, the, the the beauty of it is that we have hope. We we don't have to die in our sins. We don't have to remain that way under the condemnation of God. Now, next week, what we'll look at is other points on this slide. So I'll just show them here. Okay? Uh, does our ability limit our responsibility? Like. You know, so if someone, you say, well, if they can't do it, should they not be held accountable? Okay. Or uh, what about, uh, let's say, like infants, what what about maybe like a baby that dies very young age, or maybe even before they're born? What, what about that? Um, and here's that one I hinted at earlier. Are there degrees of sin? Are there some that are less, you know, bad than others? Okay. Um, so these are well. Actually, there's two more if I add them here to those ones. Um, what happens when a Christian sins, okay, which I've already mentioned? You know, the Bible talks about that. I've kind of hinted at that a little bit. And is there such a thing as an unpardonable sin, a sin that cannot be forgiven uh, by God? Okay, he will not pardon it. Okay. So those are the things that we'll look at next week when we continue the study. And depending on how that goes, we might get into the next lesson after that. Or if it takes uh, most of the uh, the Sunday school time, maybe we'll just finish this one topic. We'll see. Okay, well let's go ahead and close our time in prayer.